Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. What I need for you guys to do today is I want you to think about your favorite sport team. If you don't like sports, think of your favorite musician or movie, a movie star. And when I give you the signal, I want you to yell out your favorite team, whatever it is, as loud as you can. Just yell it out. I'm going to count to three. Some people are already getting ready to go over here. So on the count of three, you yell out your favorite team, whatever. One, two, three. Okay, that was good. That was, that was good chaos. I appreciate that. Now, yeah, uh-oh. Now I'm going to ask you to yell out the vision of the church on the count of three. One, two, three. Did you notice the difference? Did you notice the difference? We know our favorite sport teams and movie stars and heroes, but when it comes to the vision that God has for his church, we're almost silent. This instruction was on an airplane emergency instruction card. If you can read this, please notify the stewardess. Okay, a few of you got it. If you can't read it, how are you going to notify the stewardess, okay? You wouldn't think this is a problem in America, but it is. Many can't even read their diplomas these days. Christians should be concerned because throughout history, they have led the way when it came to educating people so they could read the Bible, uh, have a personal relationship with Christ, and know his standards. And today, not only those who can't read, but those who can don't know the Bible, 195 years out of 246 years in America, the education system uh, helped the church teach the word of God. Now the education system and the church are at war over guiding biblically. In fact, the church isn't uh, doing much more about it either. As a result, biblical and moral illiteracy is at an all-time high. I mean, even Preston. Preston uh, went to a junior high tribe gathering last week, and he said, asked the kids, who caused the walls of Jericho to fall down? And one kid said, it wasn't me. And, 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 and Preston looked at Nate, who happened to be uh, running the, the tribe that night, and, and he said, can, can you believe that? And Nate said, Preston, I've known the boy a long time. He's always been honest. I'm sure it wasn't him. And Preston Preston was quite disappointed in the leader's uh, lack of uh, Bible knowledge as well. He brought it to one of our staff meetings, and he said, and one of the staff members said, let's not argue over who did what. Let's just pay for the damages on the wall, and let's forget about it ever happened. That joke might cause us to laugh. 
but it's really not a laughing matter. There is a serious need for all ages to know and follow the word of God. We know that the moral culture in America has started a spiral, started spiraling out of control around 1963 when biblical teaching and prayer was taken out of the public eye. There is a definite connection between a lack of knowledge of God's word and the decaying of a society. But Christians don't get to blame the education system or the culture. According to God, the ultimate responsibility for teaching his word is given to whom? Parents. Those who are mature in Christ. If you want to inoculate your children against the evils and temptations that they will face in this world, then fill their minds with the word of God. That's where it starts. If we want to improve the culture for the next generation, you need to saturate our children, our friends, our communities with God's word. Get back to the basic principles within the word of God. We're all accountable for God for what we teach the next generation about applying God's word to life as circumstances. Matthew chapter 18. In fact, in Paul's second letter to Timothy, there's a verse that gives us insight as to why Timothy was such an influential spiritual leader. And it should motivate us to be Become the same. It says in 2 Timothy 1 5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. It, it must have been difficult for Eunice to instill biblical principles in her son for him to stay true to God. She faced a lot of challenges as we do today when teaching our own kids, let alone teaching others about uh, the, the, the word of God. But there are similarities between then and now. First of all, Timothy was being raised in a pagan Roman environment. Temptations were constantly enticing him to stray from moral values. Uh, Greek and Roman beliefs uh, in many gods uh, continually challenged his faith in the one true living God, most of his peers would have held you know, pagan beliefs tempting Timothy to uh, compromise his faith in order to fit in. And some think Timothy was very shy uh, by what Paul tells him in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 1, which usually makes it difficult for one to be out front if they're shy. And third, Timothy's dad was a Gentile and possibly a non-believer according to Acts 1. Some speculate that his dad may have died when he was a young teenager, creating this huge burden for Timothy and his mom uh, and, and would have increased his chances of falling into the pressures and hardships of this world. But his mom had beaten the odds. She instilled God's truth in her son, producing a strong faith and good fruit. She guided him biblically and was rewarded for it. My parents raised three kids in the 60s and 70s uh, who are all still committed Christians today and who also have raised their own children in the Lord. None of us had any dramatic conversion story and, and asked how, what the secret was of raising kids in the Lord. My dad would always tell the, the people over and over again, we taught them about God, we lived it, and we prayed for our kids every day. And Terry and I have done the same with our kids and now our grandkids, and it's a a never-ending privilege to be able to teach and pray for your kids. To this day, they are all faithful followers of Christ, and that is by the grace of God. Timothy didn't have a dramatic conversion story, but God used him to teach others of Christ. He, he was taught as a kid, and in turn, he pointed others to Christ. And so Paul uh, gives credit to those who, who took the time to, to teach Timothy what 
Christ taught them. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but you, but as far as you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, mom and grandma, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, in, in this, we are reminded of the influence that we have over other people when we share life with them. And Paul mentioned Timothy's uh, mom, Eunice, and his grandma, Lois. These two women taught him to overcome temptations and, and life difficulties. And you don't think that that was a challenging for them as they, as they took the time to fill his mind with God's word? Paul also took the time to be his mentor uh, when he was still a young man. He did this for about 15 years. And, and it's impossible to know what might have happened if, if Paul did not enter into the picture here. Uh, he may never have received the influence of a positive male role model. And so we don't know what would have happened. And the Bible tells us Older women teach younger women. Older men teach younger men. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, what you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Jesus Christ. Guard the good, excuse me, the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so this is an important part of com the community group or, or church families we encourage you to be part of. And for those of you who are out there in TV land, Maybe even here today, if you're going to a church regularly that is not sound in doctrine, can I ask you why? Why? Just to make you feel good? Or do you want to know the truth? Timothy saw those truths he had been taught from infancy, lived out in a man that he admired and respected, and then he followed Paul's example uh, and became a great teacher of the word himself. There are people today who have no spiritual uh, person in their life who can guide them from, from, from a biblical point of view, which makes them vulnerable to, vulnerable to bad thinking and lifestyles in our culture today. They need Christian people with a heart of Jesus to be their spiritual compasses and whose heroes showing them that when one does mess up, when one does commit a sin, that they can teach them how to overcome that and move forward with God's grace being transformed. You know, over time, we all discover that our man-made heroes are far from perfect. Without some standards to go by, many accept their role models false and as valid you know, behavior. Uh, we try to justify everything, but, but we need heroes like the ones Timothy found in his mom, his grandma, and Paul. They showed Timothy what it was like to walk through life and treat others as Jesus did, even through all the messes. And there's a lot of mess in our lives, our relationships. We need to be doing the same. But Tim, I, I, haven't, I have a hard enough time teaching my own kids. Little, is it really my responsibility to be teaching other people? Well, Paul told Timothy the words that had dramatically influenced his life were God-breathed. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Hebrew writer in chapter 4 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and morals. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Jesus said in, in Matthew 28 to go into all the world making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. Everything. And so the answer to the question is yes. It's your responsibility to share. And, and here are a few more reasons why we should be sharing the good news of Christ. First of all, the Bible teaches the will of God. 
There is no other way for a person to know for sure what God wants but in his word. And the Bible gives clear guidance and absolute truths to live by. In Psalm 119, it says, Your lamp, or your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. All your words are true. In Revelation 22, these words are trustworthy and true. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the, the truth, and the truth, he says. Also, the Bible has power to change us. Romans chapter 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Romans chapter 12 says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your minds, which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible uh, gives us strength to overcome sin. Psalm uh, chapter 1 says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the, the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, I have hidden your wor- a word in my heart that I may not sin against you, God. Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted, he said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Young people today chase uh, after things they think will satisfy them. Uh, So they need to to know there is something better that will quench their thirst and hunger. So God's word is, is something that nourishes us. Psalm 119 again says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Jeremiah 15 says, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. You know how many people I've heard over the years say, I don't want to force my religion, my faith, you know, on anybody, especially my kids and people that I love. Well, I don't want you to force your religion on anybody else either. How about you just share your faith in Jesus Christ? How about you just do that? But Tim, when is a good time to do that? A good time to do what? Advance the gospel of Christ to the people that you claim to love? How about all the time? In conversations, how you live, how you reconcile and forgive, how you, you're, you're spending your time, uh, what you're spending your time on, how you honor God. Church family, think about the argument there. We make our kids go to school, we make them take their medicine, we make them go to bed, we make them eat what will nourish them, brush their teeth, and if you want a paycheck, you have to go to work. If you want to pass, you have to do the homework. If you want to be the best athlete or best whatever, you have to put the time and training into it. Why shouldn't we expect or enforce biblical teaching? Why shouldn't we? If the word of God is true and if people's lives, uh, lives truly would be better uh, with God's word hidden in their, in their hearts, it makes, it makes sense for us to guide biblically whenever and wherever possible. Deuteronomy 6 says, the Lord, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your, ha- your hands and-, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. This passage gives some practical ideas as to when you should start guiding biblically. When they're young, when you're sitting around the house, when you're out for a walk or riding a bike, when you're on trips, when you're out on block parties or community groups, uh, family gatherings, when you're lying around before bed, when you get up in the morning, throughout the day. And I know most everybody has some kind of scripture hanging in their wall somewhere. When Jonathan was younger, 
he would travel with me to the preacher-teacher conference in Joplin, and, and he loved for me to ask him a lot of Bible questions. And so I would take along the Bible trivia questions, and we spent hours doing that kind of stuff. And, and growing up, my sisters, every morning we got up, we would see our dad sitting at the coffee table, sipping his coffee and reading the Word of God. It was constantly in front of us all the time. It's a matter of setting an example for those around you, encouraging and helping them fall in love with the word of God, with God himself and with Jesus, speaking truth into all of life situations. Guiding biblically is not just go, doing some you know, in-depth word study uh, through the Bible. It is also using our everyday life experiences to teach spiritual truth. Jesus used common uh, objects and experiences to teach. We can do the same to help others see how God is intertwined with everything that goes on in our lives. Everything becomes opportunities about Jesus. How many of you have iPhones? Let me see a show of hands. How many of you have an iPhone? Do you realize that you have the word of God at your fingertips? Everywhere, you're, everywhere you go, it's right there. If you haven't downloaded the app, I would encourage you to do that. It's kind of like carrying these phylacteries on your, your, your hands or your forehead on your doorpost. You have it right there all the time. We are without excuse to share the good news. A, a practical way to teach a Bible is by example. Our lives must reflect that we believe in the word we are teaching. No matter what method we use, we are to never stray from God's truth because it will be seen. Our inconsistencies uh, will battle the authority of God's word as we try to teach. Um, people will eventually smell the hypocrisy. You know, do as I say, not as I do. I can do it, but you can't. will never fly. It's not about being perfect or acting like you are. We all have sin in our lives. There's nobody in this room who is without sin. Nobody. And so we need to repent of it and allow it, not to allow it to keep us down or others down, but to rejoice that the very thing that we teach about Jesus is something we truly believe in and we want to achieve in our own lives even though we're not there yet. The chances of, for us to teach others to love and obey his word uh, will greatly increase if they see us living it out more often than just Christmas and Easter. Creating this hunger for God begins with our own spiritual appetite, devoting daily. If we don't take the time for God's word, chances are those closest to us won't either. And just because someone messes up, it doesn't nullify what they're trying to do. God's word is still truth no matter what. Show people the practicality the Bible brings uh, when we go through tough times and then pray that God's word will take root and, and change their lives. Uh, 2 Timothy 3 says, again, all scripture is God-breathed, making God the source of it all. It has the authority to speak into our lives, but also into how uh, life works in general. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, that all authority has in heaven and on earth was given to him. And since all authority has been given to him and his word expresses uh, his will for our lives, Every part of our lives are subject to the authority of the word of God. This is common sense until you begin considering how we process information and communicate and live it out. Most people are led by their, their opinions and their emotions and their experiences when giving advice. But we need to dig into what God, what the Bible says about any subject and lead and follow from that. Not situational ethics, but biblical ethics. Your experiences and opinions may be valid at times, 
but it's important to remember that God is the authority of all subject matter and that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We don't have the authority to cherry pick and find a passage we think supports our opinions, but rather form our opinions based on the whole counsel of God, using the Bible to bring about proper interpretation of another Bible passage. We don't get to decide what is right and wrong. God has spoken. We don't get to change his word based on our current condition or that of a loved one. God has spoken. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Revelation 22, warns any of us that we are not allowed, we have no authority to add to his word or to subtract from his word. In fact, Peter even writes, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophets on interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God has already spoken. We're supposed to follow. But, but, but not everyone went to Bible college and learned this stuff, Tim. I get it. And you don't have to. All you need to do is be a student of the word. Open it up and read. Romans 14 says that we are all to be able to, uh, able to, uh, to guide and instruct one another biblically. And if you, don't, if you don't have a biblical answer when you're talking with somebody else, say, I, I don't know, I'll get back with you. There's nothing wrong with that. That will show, that will give them a little more respect for you. Sometimes teaching others biblically will help you in some of your own struggles. Uh, always examine your own life and what doesn't match up with God's word, and then you work from that, according to Matthew 7. But that doesn't mean that you're supposed to be silent, living, live transparently, and be willing to share your story while pointing others God's truth. 1 Peter chapter 1, or 2 Peter says, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Hebrews chapter 4 says that God's word is living and active. Isaiah 55 says God's word never, never, never returns empty or void. It can be intimidating, I guess, but, but you, you have everything you need. So, so be confident in sharing and trust the Holy Spirit to use your humility and your willingness to share. Luke, Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So trust his leading. But, but you have to be careful not to misinterpret or take verses out of context. Study God's word and so you understand its true meaning and always apply it to life generously you want people to treat you a certain way do the same for others and allow the Holy Spirit to work Christians are typically great at giving advice but not taking it learn that over the years Proverbs 11 says for for lack of guidance a people fall but many advisors make victory sure Proverbs 19 says, listen to advice and accept discipline, and in the end, you will be wise. And so listening to biblical counsel isn't always easy, but it's always wise. Proverbs 22 says, humility and the fear of the Lord brings honor and life. Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you want to be wise, be, uh, humble yourself and, and, and listen to what God is saying through his word so you can teach others in a biblical way. And it doesn't stop at simply listening to counsel, but to actually putting it into practice here. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 to use the scriptures for training in righteousness, not just acing Bible trivia. James chapter 1 says those who, who, who don't apply Jesus' teaching but only listens to what he says, they're fools. We are told to teach 
the whole counsel of God because if we don't share the whole story of Jesus, it will confuse people and they will become extremely defensive. And to understand any story, you need to, you need to hear all of it, right? He, hearing only part of a story is going to lead to confusion and false assumptions and harm. Once, somebody once told me that you have uh, his truth and her truth and then you have the real truth. This has been a problem for many Christians as we have tried to read and teach and apply the Bible. We only share what supports our narrative, our, our feelings. This, this has been done uh, throughout the book of Acts. The history of the church and the spiritual disciplines that you read in there. And there's a lot of them. We have read the Acts like some encyclopedia of religious facts without reading the entire book. And again, this only leads to confusion and false assumptions and a harmful way of teaching biblical truth. Luke uses a word that should dictate our approach to understanding and guiding people biblically, the whole counsel of God. He says in Acts 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up in heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And so that word began is key to understanding and teaching the entire Bible. Luke, who happens to be a doctor and a fellow missionary of Paul, uses this word to connect Acts, the book of Acts, to his previous book, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And in, in fact, the entire Bible. And so Theophilus means lover of God, is probably a man of importance. That's why he's called, you know, most excellent there in verse 3. Uh, he knew some things. But Luke wanted him to have a complete understanding. He wanted to guide biblically this friend of his uh, into a deeper relationship with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. It began in Acts 1 implies that Jesus did, uh, what, that, Jesus, that what Jesus did in the Gospels was only the beginning. Uh, Luke ends his, his writing with Jesus' resurrection and his, and his ascension that Jesus is alive and still active. Acts is the sequel and picks up the story by, by repeating the final events in the Gospels. And so he's just, he's just continuing on with the story here. And then Luke goes on to describe the next journey in the life of Christ, the story of God's redemption that began in Genesis chapter 1. He's connecting everything together. But the, in the Old Testament, went silent for 400 years. Uh, the, promise of God, uh, the promises of God had only been partially fulfilled at this particular time. And we're still in, we're, even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the people of God were still waiting on him to fulfill the rest of the, these promises, the rest of the story, through the Messiah. But how? Who is this Messiah, and how is this going to be accomplished? Well, the Gospels claim that Jesus is the who and how. As Paul Harvey used to say, those older generations, and now the rest of the story. The first clear moment is when Jesus states his purpose in a synagogue there in Nazareth, where he says, and he's quoting, in, in Luke chapter 4, but he's quoting Isaiah chapter 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim, to guide biblically, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim Guide biblically, freedom from the prisoners and recovery of the sight to the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim or guide biblically the, the year of our Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he handed it back to the attendant. He took a seat and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They couldn't take it, their eyes off of him. And then he began to say this. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You're experiencing this right now. 
Luke is not only saying that Jesus is the rest of the story of God, but Jesus is a climax of all, of all that God has done since the creation of time. And Acts tells us that the church is a story of Jesus continued here. And we, we are repeatedly told in Acts that Jesus is the one who's doing all the work. We don't do anything here. In Acts 2.33, Jesus sends the Spirit on Pentecost. In Acts 9.4, uh, uh, Jesus appears to Saul, becoming Paul. In 34, Jesus is the one healing. And in 16.14, Jesus is the one who opens Lydia's heart when Paul needs advice. In 16.7, he receives it from Jesus. Jesus is constantly at work in Acts, the history of the church, the whole New Testament here, our lives and the body of Christ today. Throughout the New Testament, the disciples copycat what Jesus did in the Gospels. They perform the same kind of miracles that he, in his name, they prayed like Jesus prayed, they empowered, uh, they, they, were, they are empowered by the Holy Spirit like Jesus, they preach the same message of kingdom and repentance and forgiveness, they suffer at the hands of the Jews and the Gentiles like Jesus. Jesus is present and active throughout the New Testament as he works through the Holy Spirit who, who he sent to guide us, to empower his followers, the church. And that is us, Acts chapter 2, verse 39 there. To understand what the New Testament writers are saying will have important implications for all of us today, every one of us. It will help us understand our purpose and our mission, and that is to guide missionally or biblically the truths found in God's word, which brings about transformation and growth. The way we sometimes read the Bible has caused us to miss some very important things. We focus too much on what the first century church was like, so we copy uh, all the external, by copying all the externals without paying much attention to what it says about dealing with biblical sin and spiritual disciplines, about love and grace and forgiveness and patience and kindness. We read uh, and share too much of the Bible as though we're just some children's story as we're putting them to bed and, you know, once upon a time. Or some quick fix if we're, trying, if we're having problems in life. Or we teach the Bible as though it were a collection of, of a Bible facts for us just to quiz each other over. It's kind of like taking a T-bone or a porterhouse steak. Cooking it well done or medium rare on the grill. And then just eating the bones expecting nourishment. Bones have an important purpose but they don't quench your, your hunger. The message of the Bible is not found in the bones, but in the meat. The story of Jesus. Nothing else. The story of Jesus. The Bible is a story of God's redemption, a story of sanctification through the blood of Christ from beginning to end. It is Jesus living through his disciples, a community that we call the church, which is not to be defined by external structures or you know, acts of worship. Uh, it is defined by the character and mission of its founder, Jesus. And if we simply try to share the Bible as a way to organize and keep people in check and make them feel guilty so we feel superior, we've missed the importance of guiding others biblically. We have fought and split over stupid things in the body of Christ. Structure, methodology, opinion, while missing the meaning and the power and the beauty of the larger story. We have taken our eyes off the target. And that target is... Jesus Christ. We think that we have to be 
look special in the eyes of the world. God is already special. We just need to present him better. If we simply try to share the Bible as a way to organize, you know, again, to keep people in check, man, we're missing everything here. It is an amazing, it's amazing how some have taken the most exciting story in human history and by reducing it to historical facts and opinion and feelings and structure, making it boring and confusing and divisive. You see, Jesus is alive and his, within his disciples. He's active in the church today. We are an extension of that story, a continuation of the church that the Holy Spirit began in the first century, and God wants to work through us just like he did the first century disciples. And so the power to attract people and change lives come from guiding biblically, living transparently, engaging missionally the story of Jesus like the early disciples did. When, when people experience God through this process, their lives will be transformed. And so the church, so will the church as a whole. There is a pattern, though, for the church. But it's not methods, it's not structures, it's not rules. The pattern is Jesus himself. The Bible shows us a church that followed Jesus in the first century. Our goal should be to follow as they did, to guide biblically as they did in word and deed, even through the rough times. They faced serious persecution they died for their faith what are you willing to give up to share the gospel when you read the new testament you will discover that the early church did not always get it right either right they had their weaknesses their failures their problems their arguments so we will so will we so have we our goal is to live out the life that we have in christ and teach others god's word today as the first century did we, we, we have a mission from God and have been called to share the love of Jesus Christ as they did. We invite people to pursue community called the church and help restore relationships between themselves and God and with one another. We are to be guiding uh, others biblically so that they can have a personal relationship uh, as we do and then they can help others come to Christ experiencing the, tr the true nature of God, transforming their lives as he has allowed for us. Being a Christian is following Jesus, allowing him to live through you. It means being part of a community called the church through whom God is transforming the entire world. And if the church isn't going to get it right, you see the results out in our world. It's chaos. It's absolute chaos. And so I ask you, how is Jesus' story being told by you how is his story of love and compassion and forgiveness and grace and mercy being told by you Jesus is not calling us to join some club but wants us to continue his mission in the world Matthew 28 simply says go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've taught you everything and when someone experiences God in this way their lives will be transformed in such a way to a level of joy that they will without any thought or fear advance the gospel of Christ by living a transparent life so others will see that you and I actually walk with Jesus that we actually love him and not this world
If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.